0: Stick to one strategy and just learn it very well. Wear blinders, focus on that. Our original goal with People's Capital Group was to get to 1,000 units in three years. We recognized how hard it was to get a 25 unit under contract and purchased, and we kind of dwindled off into a lot of fix and flips. You know, if I stuck to just buying apartment buildings for the last 10 years and just really doubled down on that, you know, ideally I'd have a bigger portfolio.
1: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Aaron Fragnito. Aaron is a real estate investor in New Jersey and invests locally in commercial real estate multifamily assets. He'll be sharing his story of how he created his company and how his strategy differs from others in his industry. Listen to this episode if you want to learn how to properly invest in commercial multifamily assets. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and what do you do.
0: Thanks a lot, Sean. Glad to be here. My name is Aaron Fragnito. I'm co-owner of a company called People's Capital Group. We buy real estate in New Jersey. We're New Jersey-focused. We have our own management company in-house, and we manage all of our real estate. We buy about one apartment building every four months or so, and we work with our uh, networking group with over 3,300 members, New Jersey Real Estate Network, meetup.com there, and uh, that we have webinars, we have seminars, we have different events here at the office and online. And We're kind of like a one-stop shop for investors. They can buy a property from us. We did 60 wholesales last year, so you can buy a fixer-upper from us. If you're actively flipping in New Jersey or investing in residential real estate in New Jersey, you can invest passively in an apartment building with us here in New Jersey that we're buying on a commercial scale and invest passively as an investor if that's more your style. So yeah, we try to be a one-stop shop
1: for investors. Awesome. So how did you get into real estate investing? Well, I started, right, Rich
0: Dad, Poor Dad. I, I was a real entrepreneur major at Rowan University. And, you know, I knew I wanted to be wealthy. It was a terrible market. I graduated in 2009. No one was hiring except for Enterprise Rent-A-Car and they were offering me $30,000 a year and room room to improve. So I didn't want that future, and I moved out to Colorado to teach kids how to ski for uh, six months, live with my buddies, and I was a ski instructor out there at Steamboat Springs at the time of my life. Red Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and realized my passion for real estate ownership Moved back home in 2010, got my real estate license, started selling short sales, learning the business, saving some uh, capital, met Seth Martinez, who's my business partner to this day, and we bought a six family together. We renovated it. We leased it up for top dollar. We refinanced our money back out and raised some from other investors, developed our business and got up to about 100 units over about a six-year period.
1: That's very impressive. Awesome. So how did you guys get into multifamily?
0: Yeah, I mean, the first property I bought was a single-family home flip that I only lost seven thousand dollars on, so it was a very uh, affordable lesson, really. The second property I bought was the six-family, and I, I think almost uh, multifamilies are more forgiving than single-family homes. You can rent them out and cover your costs. You know, generally, uh, you're not having to do an amazing renovation to the the unit where you're where you're fixing and flipping a home. You know, you have to really create a nice, perfect product, and that can be difficult. But yeah, I started with the sixth family, but got it from a We Buy Houses sign. We put on a telephone pole. You know, I used to go around in a suit and tie in the middle of summer and put up those We Buy Houses signs, and people would call on those back then, 2010, 2011. And, you know, Seth was putting a bunch of lowball offers in through me as an agent, and no other agents would take his lowball offers. But I kind of liked it. I liked what he was doing. He would steal some real estate. I want to learn from him. So I uh, was his agent, and uh, we ended up uh, getting this good... Six family. They call it on the "We Buy Houses" sign, and we we bought this one together. But he, I think he put in a little bit more than me. You know, he had deeper pockets. Um, that was important. But you know, the six family bought it for two hundred twenty thousand. We got a hard money loan for ninety percent of it, so I only needed to put down ten percent of the purchase and construction. Uh, the rest was completely leveraged. So you know, with closing costs and everything, we only needed about forty to fifty thousand dollars, and I had about half of that. So Seth and I. Split it up and leveraged uh, our capital with a hard money loan, and that gave us the money to buy, renovate, lease it up, and refinance out, recycle that cash and go get another
1: one. Nice, really good strategy. And so, how are you finding deals now? Are bandit signs still the way to go?
0: Not really. We still have someone that puts up bandit signs. They work a fraction of what they used to get for us. You know, so it's it's gotten harder to find a good deal. It's gotten a lot harder. Uh, boy, if I knew then what I knew now, I'd be a rich man. But you know, basically. The challenge right now is finding a discounted apartment building, not overreaching. I'm in a very competitive market, just like you here in New Jersey, North Jersey, outside of New York City. We play off Manhattan. We look for buildings that get you into Manhattan in 45 minutes. So we are, uh, you know, com- kind of commuter cities, but uh, in Manhattan, I mean, in North Jersey, your commuter cities are expensive. You know, they're they're nice, very in demand cities. So and they're quite large a lot of times too. So we work a lot in Newark and Patterson. Morristown and Plainfield, but yeah, it's, it's been quite a journey. So finding the lead is mainly direct mail. You know, we do a lot through that. We have some billboards up. We have, you know, just direct mail is probably our best source. We do some online advertising as well. Actually, our best source is probably yeah, the sheriff's sale auctions. We do about three to four sheriff sale auctions a week, and we'll cycle about a million dollars in cash through the uh, auctions here to buy properties when they go to a foreclosure, the sheriff's sale auction. And that's a great way to get discounted real estate. If you know what you're doing, it can be very tough. You can also lose a lot of money with a non-refundable 20% down. Uh, but if you know what you're doing and you know your markets, you know the process and you have the cash, sheriff Sale Auctions can be a great source of deals.
1: And are you guys focusing mostly on multifamily right now or is it just whatever you guys get?
0: So I'd say about 40% of our time is spent focusing on residential real estate and uh, moving wholesale properties. That is our bread and butter that kind of makes a quick nickel, the wholesale stuff. We did about a million dollars in wholesaling in 2016, net profits. We'll probably do half of that this year. So the wholesale market's gotten tighter. And it's gotten just a lot harder. It was much easier to make a buck wholesaling a couple of years ago. So, you know, we read the writing on the wall, but the market's changing. The other 60% of our business is commercial. Seth Martinez, my partner, finds the deals, manages the management companies, focuses on the operations of the business, where I'm more on branding and fundraising. So, you know, with having a partner like that, that allows me to go out and, and raise the capital and build the brand. But yeah, the hardest part is is finding a good deal. And it's it's a constant challenge, you know.
1: And how are you guys finding your commercial properties?
0: So the commercial properties are mainly direct mail and just knowing the right brokers, knowing the right wholesalers. We have great network of realtors and brokers that work with us on the commercial side, uh, wholesalers as well, and just direct mail to landlords. You know, Seth will talk to a landlord for a year before we actually go into contract with them. He'll build rapport with them. And we advertise to older individuals, uh, older folk that are worn out landlords, just tired of managing their own real estate, maybe never really did it right, and just kind of looking to sell the building for a good price, um, that's we, we'll, we'll spend $20,000 in direct mail marketing to find that one landlord. It's a lot of beating around the bush, a lot of building relationships, being patient, and then the other deals in commercial side come from brokers who we build relationships with. In the same sense, you just like a seller, you want to be on the forefront of their mind. Uh, you want them to like doing business with you. You want them to want to pick up the phone and call you and and talk to you about a deal they have, you know, or something they're thinking about selling. So we just got a great deal in Berkeley Heights, fourteen units. The seller was actually a broker. But before he listed his own property, he called us up and said, do you want to come take a look at it and make me an offer? We said, yeah, don't, don't list it. Hold off. Let us come and look at it. We'll make an offer. We got a great deal in Berkeley Heights, 14 units for a fraction of what uh, they pr- we go for on the open market.
1: Nice. And what would you consider a good deal for a commercial deal?
0: So a good deal for commercial deal is, I mean, that's a very, you know, that's like, what's a nice piece of art, you know? Um, So, I mean, we're buying a seven cap in Patterson right now, you know, and uh, that makes sense to us where if you talk to someone about buying an apartment building in Patterson, they say, heck no, I would never invest in Patterson because it's a crime ridden city. It's got some rough spots or we wouldn't invest in, but it's got some great spots of great opportunity. Then if we look at buildings in nicer areas, like, you know, more desirable areas, you're going to have a lower cap rate and we're going to buy at a five and a half to six and a half cap rate. You know, so the, you know, the hardest challenge here is is cash flowing your real estate, keeping your costs low, figuring out different ways to work with or rent control, you know, work with the tenants in the city. Uh, Rent control is a very big challenge in, in this area where it can just devastate a landlord if he doesn't know what he's doing and what he's getting into. It's always hard to find a good deal. And, you know, it depends on the eye of the beholder, too. What's the value add opportunity, right? If I look at a building and I see the rents are 30% below market value, well, you know, I'm going to value the building a little bit on what it's making right now, but not a whole lot because I know I can turn around and, and increase the value of the building by 30%. So there's a value to that value add. All right? We always look for the value add. If I look at a building and rents are a top dollar and the guy's making money on the parking and the storage and the laundry and everything's renovated and top dollar and you know he's got a, a low cap rate and a high, high asking price, well, there's no value add. There's nothing I can do to improve the building and reposition the building and refinance it or sell it to make a great return for my investors. So I look at the value add. I look for value add and once I find it, I place a value on that value add. You know, I mean real estate's art. It's all in the eye of the beholder. We have a great management company. I know exactly how to reposition a building with 30% below market rents. That's what our company's made to do, and that's what we do best. So for me, I will pay for that. Maybe for someone else, they won't.
1: Yeah, it makes sense because I know a lot of people they teach you you need to buy like a ten cap on the actual like current rents, but I mean, if you could see a huge potential, why should you do that?
0: If I ran around saying I need to buy 10 caps in North Jersey, I would never buy any real estate because there's no 10 caps in North Jersey, not a real 10 cap. I could do some hokey pokey, you know, fake number uh, thing. But if you really conservatively write a building, underwrite a building, you're not going to get a 10 cap, you know, uh, unless like you struck gold. But right now this market, it's so hard to get that. You know, what we're looking at are buildings that maybe right now there are five or a six cap, which really isn't bad for North Jersey, but they have the potential to be an eight cap, you know, and that to me is, is value. And, you know, there might take a little work to get there, it might take a little investment, but we really just look for mismanaged buildings that we can improve the management of, that we can turn around and make, make multiple forms of income on, get our expenses down as well. And the more those little um, improvements you can find, the potential improvements in your cash flow the more you can paint this picture of okay i'm going to i'm going to buy this building and here's a dozen different things i'm going to do to get better net operating income out of it you know get my expenses down and my incomes up and even if only half of them work then i'm still getting almost to where i need to be you know and and assume on only half of them work right assume the worst and it's yep yeah, so that's that's always what we look for and someone that says oh you know well if you don't find that 10 cap just keep looking I don't know, then you're going to have to go to the Midwest. You're going to have to go somewhere less desirable. You're going to have to change your model because if you want to find a 10 cap in North Jersey, you're going to be looking a long, long time, my friend.
1: Mm -hmm. And how are you financing these properties? Do you kind of acquire them hard money first and then finance out or do you just kind of acquire them with a traditional Fannie Mae Freddie Mac?
0: So most of the time on the commercial stuff, uh, we're talking about commercial stuff, right? Uh, we, are, uh, we do a, just a regular long-term loan. We're looking at maybe Connect One Bank or Financial Resources Federal Credit Union. So local banks, small credit unions, those are always great ways to get decent loans for more quirky properties. You know, um, We buy affordable housing. We buy Section 8 real estate. By a lot of inner city real estate. Stuff that if I go to Wells Fargo, it just doesn't fit the box properly, you know, or Chase Bank or something. You gotta go to a local bank, gotta try to build those relationships, go in there, shake the VP's hand, get some lunch with them. That's what we that's what we focus on. We have great relationships with Connect One Bank, and they're a small local bank here in Jersey, and we'll get long-term debt on it at maybe a four to five percent interest rate. And we'll go ahead and we'll just raise a little extra capital to put in the repairs because we're not talking about a lot of repairs here. You know, less than 5% of the purchase price and more like lipstick on a pig type of scenarios, improved management. So we'll raise that extra cash for the repairs. We'll get a bank loan for about 75 to 70% of the purchase price. Uh, We'll raise the down payment. We'll raise the closing costs. We'll put that all together. We'll do an equity split with the investors. They'll get. Maybe say 60% ownership of the building. We'll get 40% ownership of the building. We charge a discounted management rate. So, on our property management, so that uh, more returns can be passed on to investors. And of course, we own the management company. That's our secret weapon that allows us to really control the building and control the reposition. Everything's within an hour of our office. So, we're very local and we manage everything in house.
1: Yeah, that's really smart because not a lot of people, they are, I guess, their partners here in the. In the Bay Area in California, and they're trying to manage stuff all the way on the other side of the country, mm-hmm. and they rely on outsourcing their management teams. And you know, when you do that, you don't have full control of your asset.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't know how these guys do it. It's a tough business. These syndicators, they they raise capital, other people's money. You know, they put their name on the line, their reputation. And then they go and they hand it off to a management company, basically. And they say, here, you know, you guys probably know better than us. Go ahead, and, you know, manage this. And I know there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's art to that. And there's a way to really, you know, uh, police the management company, but I've had two management companies steal from me. I had a very reputable, popular management company. I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of, I won't say their name, but I uh, fired them because they were under delivering over promising and uh, just not, you know, like a 75% collections rate. And then I hired another company who would meet tenants, of the property, get the first month security deposit, first month's rent, sign a fake lease do it again with someone two hours later for the same unit and just pocket the money. Did that uh, six times in a day, ran off with all the money. We'd sue them. We actually won. You know, I've hired very scrupulous management companies, big and small. And because of that, we just developed our own. So after that experience, more power to these guys that know how to manage and, and trust management companies across the country. But boy, is it easy to falsify a statement and send it to someone. You know, I mean, today with Photoshop, how hard is it to trick someone? You know, if you're not an honest business person, I mean, you're working with a company across the across the way. They're not honest with you. They, they can really take it. They can just destroy your business. You need to be able to drive by, pop up on your contractors, pop up on your managers. You know, if your employees know you're never going to pop up on them and check their work, then they're really just going to be a fly, fly by night uh, job at the end of the day. You know?
1: Yeah, that's true. So how many units do you guys currently have under your management?
0: About hundred units, we recently sold a handful of them, anything that wasn't making money, a lot of Class D real estate stuff that we bought to get started, some really rough areas that just really never cash flowed all that well. You know we refinanced our money back over time on that, so they were good investments. But yeah, we've about hundred units now, and we're looking to build up to about a sixty million dollar portfolio over the next five years. That's our
1: goal, yeah, super exciting. and what are the kind of properties you kind of that you are purchasing nowadays?
0: So bigger is better. We do like six to 25 units. Uh, we could do bigger uh, you know, as we grow at that rate. And we're just trying to build our investor network right now. We're doing about one acquisition every quarter. We find six to 25 units is kind of the sweet spot. Less than 5 million. You're dealing more of a mom and pop seller, someone that you're just having you know, a conversation with that's looking to sell their building. When you get with over 25 units, over 5 million, start to deal with really hot shop brokers, you know, landlords that are more savvy and a different type of negotiation. It's a different experience and you tend to pay more for that real estate. So for us, we like to really get a discount when we buy so, we do buy six to 25 unit apartment buildings. Anything less than six units really doesn't cash flow all that well. So, if it's less than six units, we might buy it, but we'll flip it right away or we'll wholesale it. You know, but we're not going to hold on to it long term necessarily.
1: And now you're trying to get them to cash flow on day one.
0: Depends on the property. You know, we're buying an 11 unit right now where we know we're not going to cash flow on day one because we're going to offer a cash to keys for everyone. I mean, it does technically cash flow from day one, but we're going to offer a cash to keys for everyone in the building. And that will hopefully allow us to, not everyone, about half the tenants, uh, reposition some of the units in the building. So we know the first year there's going to be tenants moving out, new tenants moving in, uh, repairs going into the building, months where we have vacancies while we're leasing and renovating. And that's going to hurt our bottom line for the first year and that's part of a reposition you need to invest a little bit of time and money and and you know a little pain for some gain so by year two, we're usually fully occupied, cash flowing, banging on all cylinders, got the rents up to where we need them to be. And by year three, even better. So by year four, we're usually applying for the refinance. And by year five, ideally we've refinanced. So it's a process. You know, Every project's different. We just bought a 14 unit where it was a turnkey from day one. It makes money from day one, but there's a little bit less of aggressive value add strategy for the first five years. And you know therefore your returns might be a little bit less but maybe a little more consistent kind of depends on the investor's appetite
1: and can you tell us a story about your 11 unit like what did you guys buy it for what were the current rents how much you guys plan on putting into it and what do you think it will rent for after you're done sure so the building we're
0: buying right now is the 11 unit building we have it under contract for 965 it appraised at 1.1 $1. 1 million we're going to put together about four to six investors on the building. We're raising a total of about three hundred ninety thousand dollars, and putting together some passive investors on this, accredited or sophisticated. We've put an offering out to our internal network already, and we'll be, um, you know, creating this fund shortly and, and putting uh, putting it out to our uh, our network of investors. More. Uh, Officially, so at this point, uh, yeah, it's a good building. It uh, has a value add strategy in the first six months to do a reposition of uh, about half the units. We're going to offer cash to keys to the tenants. They're paying about eight hundred dollars a month. The rocket rents about thirteen hundred a month to twelve hundred. And, you know, we're going to offer a cash-to-keys so that they'll amicably uh, exit the building, amicably move out, and be able to have some money in their pocket to go find another place. They don't, you know, we're buying a building where the building's mismanaged, so the tenants are not very happy. And because of that, they tend to accept our cash-to-keys, cash for keys offer. You know, usually about two-thirds to half of the building will accept our cash-to-keys offer. And, and that's a great way to amicably uh, have a tenant move out of a building without destroying the building or uh, uh, upsetting anyone or breaking any uh, rent control laws, of course, as well.
1: How much are you guys offering for cash for keys?
0: We start around $1,000. we will go up to 4000 know, In Patterson, you don't have to go much higher than that. In Jersey City or Hoboken, a nicer area, you may have to go higher than that.
1: Is there rent control in New Jersey?
0: There's rent control in a lot of cities in New Jersey. Every town is different. Every city is different. We are in Patterson, for example, rent control does not apply to Section 8. So for these six tenants that are paying, you know, 30% 30 below market value, we're going to offer them cash for keys. Once they move out, we're going to renovate the unit and then move in a Section 8 tenant because rent control does not apply to Section 8. So... You know, the obvious uh, strategy there is to do a cash for keys with the low paying cash tenants, improve the unit, and then lease for top dollar to Section 8. There is a rent control loophole with that strategy. You know, obviously, uh, rent control doesn't apply to Section 8. That's a loophole in the the ordinance in Patterson. It just happens to be that way. You know, you go one town over, it's a completely different ordinance, completely different rent control set of laws.
1: Gotcha. It's so interesting because I know a lot of people don't like Section 8, but I seem like your strategy is that you love it. You want to talk about that? Uh,
0: I mean, love's a strong word. Yeah, I would say we have a love-hate relationship, me and Section Eight. I uh, know we've done well with Section Eight. We, we've had a lot of buildings in the past that are Section Eight. We've done. We've learned the market. There's three forms of Section Eight. There's federal, county, and state. You got to know how to advertise. You got to know how to interview the tenants. You have to understand so you can't just accept anyone just because they have a voucher. Some Section Eight tenants have been amazing. Others have been disasters and destroyed the unit and subleased the unit and made the building less desirable for other tenants, which is. Really, the worst thing that can happen snowballs into a disaster. So, you want to really pick and choose your Section Eight tenants. Just because they're qualified and have the voucher doesn't mean they'd be a great fit for your building. You know, are they rude to your property manager? Are they cooperative in the process of signing a lease? Uh, what, what? How are their landlord references? were they evicted in the past? So. Section eight is an acquired taste. You have to know what you're doing to be able to manage section eight buildings properly and section eight tenants properly. But once you understand that side of the business, it opens up a whole new set of options. You can buy class D real estate, class C real estate. I don't really like class D real estate. It's hard to make money on it, but I do make good uh, return on investment with class C real estate where I buy uh, a class C building and try to make it a B.
1: Nice. What are the biggest challenges you guys are facing in your real estate investing career?
0: Boy, the biggest challenge we're facing, um, I would say just juggling the process of investor demands. You know, hey, I want a building here with this return. I like you guys. I like what you do, dah, 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 but I need a building like this and these returns and I need it tomorrow. And then trying to find a good deal and analyzing a good deal, and looking at 200 deals to buy one and not making it stretch. and you know, making sure I'm conservative with my underwriting while I have other investors pushing me to get something, you know, while I'm trying to find a good investment, my partner and I. So it, it's a juggle. Being a syndicator is a juggle. You're juggling relationships with high net worth individuals and just small, sophisticated investors as well. And you're juggling relationships with landlords and brokers and You know, everywhere in there is your reputation, your integrity. So, um, you know, it's a lot about creating a solid professional brand, being an individual who works with integrity and works with, you know, real uh, logic and and, uh, professionalism. And you have to first win over people's interest in you. They're investing in you, you know, and you want to raise a lot of capital. You have to be a likable, trustworthy individual with a good track record and it could be all destroyed in one second with social media these days, you know, so you gotta be smart. And it's tough though. It's it's the hardest part is juggling the relationships and the timing of putting people's capital to work with closing on a large piece of real estate, which is unpredictable and filled with challenges.
1: Yeah. I mean investing in real estate is a challenge in itself. And now you have to bring in other people and using their funds, which is another huge challenge. Like how are you even going about Uh, raising funds, especially like, how did you do it for your first time? Well, first
0: time, start at the Thanksgiving dinner table. That's your best way to raise capital, getting started, friends and family, your sphere of influence. People invest in you because they like you, they want to help you, they trust you, and last of all, they think they'll make some money with you and their money will be safe. So your first thing is your sphere of influence, but don't just go in there being like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I read a book. No, you got to really be serious about it. You know, I mean, if you look me up online or anything got. that, you know we have a lot of information, a lot of content online. I have a youtube channel i 'm on different podcasts. you know we have a nice website, a lot of information. We have seminars and webinars we've been doing for years. so the brand is out there. People can go online and see that we know what we 're talking about you know as a start so that 's nice and then also my meetup group you know my meetup group has been everything. Uh, I have 3,300 members in it. I do seminars and webinars with that constantly. Meetup.com is a great site. It's like 30 bucks or something for the year. It's like nothing. And uh, if you keep putting content out there, you can do very well with it. You know, I don't charge for my events. I don't charge for my webinars. There are a lot of work. I'm doing about one event every week. I'm doing an, another webinar two or three times a month. So it's a hustle um, and and there's no immediate payoff for it. You'll have a relationship with an investor for a year sometimes before they invest. And there's a lot of emailing and following up and seminars and texting and calling to get that final investment. But my, my meetup group has been a godsend. It's called New Jersey Real Estate Network. And that in itself has some value with all the members there. I don't sell coaching. I don't sell guru packages. I don't upsell you. I invite you to my office to learn what I do completely for free. I give you dinner or breakfast, depending on the time of day, and I send you home. So, you know, I just offer a nice product with a lot of content. It's all free. And If you choose to invest,
1: awesome. That's great. I mean, I host a meetup event as well. And I know for sure it takes a lot of effort to set these things up. So props to you for being able to do this so consistently. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, I'm paying for their food too. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, I used to do the hotel and I used to lose like some serious dough. I would have sponsors and stuff and, but then you got to get all the sponsors involved. You know, that's the whole thing. And I found myself just throwing events. I'm like, wait, am I a real estate investor or am I an event planner here? You know, so uh, sometimes you're not sure which day it is.
1: Exactly. I know exactly how you feel. And since, you know, recently Well, it seems like recently that there have been a lot of syndicators and GPs who have just started. I don't know if you've seen that recently, especially I think with the Grand Cardone just kind of promoting apartment buildings. What would you say differentiates the GPs? You know, what makes a good GP versus a mediocre one?
0: Boy, uh, that's that's you got some good questions, Sean. You really do. So I guess that's also the eye of the beholder. You know, it's I, I see a lot of these guys going out of state. A lot of guys who are getting started with. A seventy-five unit syndication because they, you know, had a coach or read a book that said the best way to get started is a large multi-million dollar syndication. I don't know. I don't believe in that. That's pretty crazy. But people are doing it, and and they're going way out of state. I, again, I've had bad experience with that. You know, trusting a management company, trusting your entire company in the hands of another company. You know, it's like if Google said, oh, we're just going to hire this other company to run our website, you know, like, wait a minute, that's your most important asset and you're just hiring another company to run it. No, the people who are on the website are Google employees, you know, so it, it makes no sense how syndicates will, will do that. And and I get it. That's how do you invest all over the country if you're not using management companies. And yes, there are good management companies out there. I'm sure I just haven't really met any of them. Uh, Maybe I know one, but as far as what we do, repositioning the buildings, you know, going in aggressively and turning them over, a lot of management companies don't want to do that. Not at the rate we do it, not at the uh, aggressiveness that we we turn over buildings. So I'm worried that a lot of these syndicators out there are going to realize that they are not in the real estate business. They're in the business of hiring management companies to manage their business. And they're only as good as their management company. So these guys have really awesome spreadsheets. They have really good de- demographics and statistics, and they're buying in areas where the, the cost of living is below the wage. And here's 17 statistics why they're going to succeed. You know, And look at this management company. Look at this track record. They manage all these buildings here. They must be good. They manage a ton of real estate. They know what they're doing. All right, fine. But they're not going to treat your building like their baby You know, they're going to collect the rent and call a plumber on the pipe leaks and send you the updated report every week. But as far as really aggressively repositioning real estate, management companies, they don't really want to do that because there's no money in it. I know because I own the management company. It's it's a loss leader until you get to about 1,000 plus units. And even then, you need to really put as little time into each building – to make the max return on investment as the management company. So, again, the management company's goal is to put as little time into each unit as possible to get the max return on investment because the, otherwise they have to keep hiring employees the more and more buildings they get or, or developing technology and paying for new systems. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see who survives here. I, I do see a lot of people getting into the syndication space. I get it. That's kind of a red flag. when everyone in their mom is doing something, it's like you almost want to go the other way. But- we are doing it differently than other people. We're doing it very local. We control the buildings one hundred percent. we control the management company one hundred percent. I could go drive over to them right now, make sure my contractor is doing the right thing and there's a big big benefit to that. Uh, you know we do expect a little market slowdown and when the market does slow down, you know you just want to make sure you 're not the last crane in the air or the guy holding the bag as they say and and if you're relying on a management company you interviewed over the phone a few times to, to operate a million dollar building where you have put all your life savings into it. And everyone else, you know, as well has put all their life savings into it. You know, man, that's a, that's a plan that just, uh, it might work for a few years, but you know, that's a risky, risky plan. And I don't really necessarily agree with it. You
1: know? Yeah, for sure. How do you go creating your own management company? It
0: was hard. We had to first we hired a contractor on payroll, and you know he was a really good contractor, and we paid him per job and then we said, "All right, we're going to pay you on payroll and it saved us a few bucks at the end of the day. We recognized and then all of a sudden, all the jobs started taking a lot longer, and the quality of work started going downhill, and you know he just had to stay and put another day here, another day there, so we realized you know you got to pay contractors on a performance basis. He took complete advantage of us so we run a lean mean management company. We use Appfolio. Uh, Appfolio is a very good technology. It's not cheap, but it allows uh, my uh, single property manager, Lena, to manage 100 units very well. Uh, everything's pretty much set on uh, you know, auto drive with collections and things like that. And, and once they're in the unit, I have a bookkeeper that works under our CPA. So we have a whole third-party CPA firm that does our... Uh, accounting and tax filing and bookkeeping. They come into our office twice a week. That helps organize our financials and our bookkeeping, which is a very, very important part of management, really. that you know it took some growing pains. Our management company costs about $125,000 a year to run, and it will probably earn about two-thirds of that. Okay, So it's a loss leader uh, for now, and it allows me to control our assets. But I could see why other companies try not to do it because you got to have some money to put in. It's an investment. It's a, it's a business in itself.
1: Right. I mean, it's a lot of effort, but you guys are doing it not necessarily because you want to be in property management, but because you want to protect your asset.
0: Oh, yeah. I really don't like property management. My passion's not in property management. We don't manage other people's real estate. We only manage our own real estate. We developed a management company by necessity. If you want to do what we do and really turn over buildings in an aggressive manner, you really need to have your own management company, in my opinion, unless you, you know, find a company that's an amazing company. But I mean, they're going to charge you for it, though. If You want an extra focus an extra attention, an extra turnover of a building and more creative management, then they're going to charge you more for it. So by owning the management company, you can also charge a much lower rate and that lower management fee can pass off uh, better returns to your investors. So the benefit.
1: That's true. So earlier, you mentioned about going to sheriff's auctions and like, if you know what you're doing, you can make a lot of money, but if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to lose a lot of money. Can you share some tips on what people should be looking out for when going to auctions?
0: Yeah, getting started, you know, don't go to the auctions. They're really hard. If you know what you're doing and you you have some capital to put to work and you have some experience... I mean, sheriff sale auctions are different for everyone. We'll focus on an entire county. And we'll say, okay, we're gonna our team's going to research every property on paper. We're not going to drive out there. We're going to research each property on paper that's coming to auction that week. And half the stuff online doesn't actually come to auction. So if you're chasing one property, it's kind of a loser's game. But if you focus on a whole county and you're able to analyze on paper every property coming to auction that week, and you can run your numbers pretty quickly, and you, you know your market well enough. You know, it can be a good place to get properties. You bid on the real estate; it gets bid up a lot of times these days. A lot of people are at the auctions, so it's harder and harder to find a good deal. They're often bid up to too expensive a price. But we've gone in there. We've we've moved hundreds of properties. You put down 20% at the sheriff sale auction. That's a hard deposit. It's very hard to get that back unless there's a major title issue or something like that. But if the property's a disaster, it doesn't matter. Oil tank doesn't matter. You have to have really basically untransferable title. That's the only way out of it. Even then you got to pay to get out. Basically, you got to hire an attorney. So it's not a great way for a rookie to get started. But if you're experienced, we've got a lot of deals there. 100% as is. Sometimes there's people living in the real estate. You can't even get in there. You got to go pay the other 80%. You you put the 20% down that day. You got to come up with the other 80% usually within a month or two. But what we do is we usually assign the bid. So we'll put it under contract at auction. I call up my best investors. I say, hey, I got a three family in Newark. I know you'll pay 160 for it. I got it for 120. I don't necessarily tell him that right there, but I got it for 120. I'm going to assign you the bid. So he said, oh, I'd love to get it for 160. I say, oh, great, great, I'll sign in the bid for the $40,000 difference. I'll make a quick 40. And that helps keeps the light on here at the uh, People's Capital."
1: Nice. You know, I have a quick question about wholesaling. So there are some times when I personally come across a deal and then I have a pretty significant buyers list. How do you go about targeting the right ones and making sure that you don't let like 10 of them know and then three of them get back to you? And then there's an awkward conversation between the three investors who want to get that property.
0: People often are not happy with you when you're wholesaling real estate. It's a cutthroat business. Like I I tell my investors, I say, listen, you want the property, go there. Here's how we're going to show it. I'll send you a contract. You have to wire deposit to this attorney or this title company. You have to sign the contract. It's as is, where is. You know, if if you want to do this or that, you got to do it now, whatever inspections you want to do. And the first guy to get me a deposit and a signed contract gets the deal. Period. End of story. If you wire a $5,000 deposit to my attorney and you sign that contract, I will not go dabble with anyone else. Okay. Unless the contract's all marked up with a bunch of changes and everything. All right. And then basically if someone comes in an hour later, even if he's my best friend, I say, sorry, buddy, I already signed with this guy. But if you sign a contract, you don't send a deposit, then I'm not going to sign the contract until you send the deposit. Money talks. It's the most important thing.
1: That's right. That makes sense. So I guess... You can throw out the feelers, but whoever is actually serious about it is the one who actually gets the deal, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I throw out tons. I have ten thousand buyers on my buyers list. Uh, I got about two dozen guys that I'm good friends with who I I, I like selling real estate to. I don't want to piss anyone off, but you know, buyers are liars. Uh, I mean, that's how it goes. Buyers are liars, man. That's the name of the business. So you know, they're going to talk a big game, and I hear I've heard everything under the sun. And, you know, if someone tells you to hold off on marketing a property or, you know, let me go see it and I'll, I'll tell you, no way, that's so stupid. Okay, go see it. I'll hold off on letting all my other buyers know just for you. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You're you're running a business. You're on one side of the table. You want to get a bidding war going. You might say to your best buyers, hey, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give five buyers, you know, 24 hours to go there and get me an offer. But whenever you specialize one single buyer and you let them go to the building, you know, make it, I mean, that's, you know, on, on the seller side of the table, because what I was just explaining before was trying to be that buyer who's the only guy in the room. But when the buyer's the only guy in the room, the seller is shortchanged. And that's the period in the story. So you always, as a seller, as a wholesaler, you always want to get a lot of people looking at the real estate, a lot of people interested. First got to sign a, I'll put out six, seven contracts to buyers. I'll wait for one to sign it and send a deposit in. I'll go with him.
1: So do you have any tips for any new investors who want to get into real estate investing?
0: Sure. So I think the easiest way to get started is to start small. There's no harm in getting started with a two-family or a three-family. I bought plenty in my time. It is easier to cash flow on 25 units under one roof and four walls, but at the end of the day, it's a very hard way to get started. So two-family properties are are very common you can go to any inner, inner city area and find some in foreclosure or you know properties where uh, you just have mom and pop sellers owner occupant sellers you know older individuals that are just looking to sell their home so start small two families are very forgiving single family flips are less forgiving because you can't rent them out while you're trying to sell them or while you're trying to renovate the other units so multi-family uh, buy renovate refinance out or buy renovate sell hold on to stuff that does cash flow it is a good strategy
1: Nice. And you mentioned that if you knew what you knew now, back then, you'd be like a lot richer. So what are some advice that you would tell yourself when you were younger?
0: Stick to one strategy and just learn it very well and wear blinders, focus on that and be aware of, of other, other things going on in the world, other opportunities, other people that are doing things better than you, but do not lose track. You know, our original goal of People's Capital Group was to get to a thousand units in three years. We recognized how hard it was to get a 25 unit under, under contract and purchased, and we kind of dwindled off into a lot of fix and flips and did about 50 fix and flips in the last 10 years. I'm not saying I regret that, I learned a lot from it, we made some money, we lost some money, but we aren't really great uh, contractor guys, fix and flipper guys, we're great at management, that's our specialty, we're good at finding good deals and analyzing them, and putting the capital together for them, so you, that's our strength, we gotta stick to our strengths, we knew our strengths, and then it was hard, and we kinda d- went off into something that was just more readily available with fix and flips and stuff, so you know, if I stuck to just buying apartment buildings, for the last 10 years and just really doubled down on that, you know, ideally I'd have a bigger portfolio. And then also the fix and flips, getting into high-end fix and flips. You know, we flipped uh, flipped uh, $300,000 homes just fine. We figured, oh, let's flip million-dollar homes we'll make million dollars. That's not how it worked. And we used the same contractors from our inner-city flips to work on our fancy homes. And it was just a disaster. So, you know, stick to what you know. Stick to what's working. And just because you can flip cheap homes doesn't mean you can flip million-dollar homes.
1: Gotcha. So, if you could go back in time, you would mostly focus on the apartment side, right? And you would probably just not dabble into the fix and flip side if you could.
0: Yeah. And if I did do fix and flip, I'd do cheaper stuff more on the lower end side of it, you know, which is still profitable for us and is still operating. But yeah, I would not do high end flips and I would focus more on the commercial side, the apartment buildings. That's where wealth is. That's where you get your retirement. That's how you retire young. Fix and flips are tough. You know, you're only as good as your last fix and flip and you got to pay the tax man, then go do it again apartment buildings could be the gift that keeps on giving.
1: Yeah, very well said. So how can people contact you?
0: PeoplesCapitalGroup.com is our website. Uh, We're called Peoples Capital Group, so you can go to PeoplesCapitalGroup.com and give us a call here at the office at 908-464-0400, or email me at Aaron at PeoplesCapitalGroup.com. Our meetup site is New Jersey Real Estate Network, so you can join our meetup group for uh, our webinars, our our seminars if you're local, We have networking events here. You can build your business in in New Jersey. And again, it's peoplescapitalgroup.com for information on what we have going on, properties for sale, and investment opportunities for passive investors as well.
1: All right, Aaron. Thanks so much for your advice, and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Sean. Have a good one. All right, you too. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. When you're evaluating a real estate deal, don't worry too much about what a property is making now. Figure out what it can make after stabilization, and create a plan to get you there as quickly as possible. Your reputation is incredibly important, so guard it with your life. The property management's goal is to put the least amount of time per building, so it's best to have your own management team so you can properly take care of the asset. And when you're just starting out, pick one strategy and stick to it. You'll be better off in the long run. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. And if you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet twice a month at meetup.com slash everythingrei. Thanks, and have a great day this was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.